This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life. Because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lichty. Hey everyone, I'm here with Cassie Beer. How's it going? Hey Kyle, great. How are you doing? Pretty well. Uh, we are... Uh, separated by uh some some miles you're in you're in fort wayne at the moment i'm still here in grand rapids under uh well michigan's still under lockdown Uh, indiana there's been yeah they're a little a little looser yeah than michigan at this point but we're still still hanging at home yeah we so we've known each other for quite a while we we went to the same church growing up and i i knew your brother he was a grade uh below me that's how we known each other. And, uh, I also know your husband, Jason, uh, yeah. while growing up really amazing dude, by the way. Yeah. He's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, he is awesome. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm reminded of the times at the fins, um, you two and just, uh, Oh geez. Yeah. Just, uh, amazing. What, what you two, I think meant to so many of us, um, for various different reasons at that time. Oh, you know? that's really sweet of you to say that was yeah. a really fun time. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just, yeah, just, uh, some incredible times that we, uh, both you experienced. Could, you could always count on a good time at the Finn's house. That oh. place was, Oh yeah. The place to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Growing up, you, you're, you were in Fort Wayne, you born and raised. What was it like to, be a part of uh fort fun <laughs> ah, man i think i have a similar experience to a lot of people who are raised here and think it's just the dumps and can't wait to leave and you know i did as soon as i could i i left uh, right after high school and i moved to atlanta for a couple years for like a music internship program and came back and was still not super thrilled to be back in Fort Wayne at the age of 20, which was when I met Jason, my husband. And a couple years later, we got married, moved to Chicago and loved Chicago. Like mm-hmm. just loved the city life, loved not having a car, <laughs> uh, loved the diversity we got to experience. And then we had our first kid and it was like, okay, time to go home. <laughs> And we just really needed the extra support that we didn't have in the city. And so coming back after having been away and getting to see my city through fresh eyes was, was really great. I think I didn't appreciate it as a kid. And I also grew up, like you talked about with, we were growing up at the same church, which was a huge church. Mm -hmm. And that was my whole world. There was so much of Fort Wayne I didn't experience because the church was like our whole life. So I think now as an adult and seeing like how, and I mean, Fort Wayne's really changed a lot in the last 10 years too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Invested in the downtown. There's way more small businesses and stuff to do. Uh, there's just a lot of people here that really care about it. And I'm really proud to be a part of that now to help it mm-hmm. really thrive. And so, yeah, I think the church world really, especially as a pastor's kid, I was kind of in this church bubble. And so I thought Fort Wayne was only that experience growing up. And um, yeah, it 
has definitely been a 180 for me. Now I d- imagine us living anywhere else. Like we just really love it here. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're happy here. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how often you were in while growing up, how often you were at the church, um, <laughs> you know, cause even for myself, my, with my dad playing in the orchestra, yeah, I was I was probably there three four nights a week. Oh yeah, or you know, and so I can't imagine how much more for someone like you and and Paul. Um, it just yeah, totally would have been your whole world. It was like I uh, my mom's parents lived like literally across yeah. from the parking yeah. lot, and so we were just there constantly. And you know, there was this very much of um, living in a glass house being the pastor's kid of this massive church. And so that mm-hmm. definitely contributed to me. Like, I can't wait to get out of here <laughs> no, <laughs> and totally. just go somewhere where no one recognized my last name or knew who I was. Yeah. I think I was a little jaded by growing up as, as a pastor's kid in that regard, feeling like I had no privacy and yeah, like we lived our whole lives. We used to like take our rollerblades with us and, uh, the church <laughs> was massive, and like at night when our parents would be staying late to work on things, we would like rollerblade through the hallways because uh, it was like, well, we're here, we might as yeah. well do this. <laughs> so, that's so that's so awesome. It was it was pretty awesome because I mean, you know, that thing was like a small airport oh, yeah. inside, yeah. and um, excellent for rollerblading, hide and seek. Oh yeah, all sorts of yeah amazing uh fun activities that mm-hmm. I, I just remember doing with friends office chair um, races through the hall yeah. like it's it's prime for um <laughs> juvenile fun times so. right. <laughs> what's interesting too and this has recently come to my attention of like my appreciation for music uh started with ct yeah and i mean it was so much a part of uh the service yes uh i mean you have an yeah there was an orchestra there's the choir musicals that were put on to special guests like every other sunday (laughs) night yeah what was that like for you to experience and and is that where your appreciation from music started yeah so i didn't know how good i had it until I got older and looked back at what an incredibly rich music experience I was able to grow up in. Mm-hmm. Like you said, uh, I grew up watching my dad direct the choir and my mom sing and um, watching everyone in the church, like really participate in, in the music. And um, that was where I learned to sing harmony. That's where I learned to read music. That's where I learned to play along, you know, like I played the clarinet in the orchestra and it's where I first learned to play a guitar. Um, it was, it was just a part of what we did there. It was, it was fundamental to our, to our faith there was the music. And so it was, it was really rich. And of course, like I just wanted to, as a little girl, like I just wanted to grow up and sing on stage, like my mom, you know, I thought it was incredible that she could get up and with her voice, move an entire room to sing along with her. Like I thought that was mm-hmm. a superpower <laughs> and I still do, you know, 
And it wasn't, and, and the great thing was, I think about my childhood, it was, it's just, it wasn't just at church. Like there was music in our car, there was music in our kitchen all the time. And it wasn't just, I don't know if they'll be furious that I publicly admit this, it wasn't just Christian music. Um, you know, we played all the time. And now it's funny because at the time we called it the oldies, but looking back now, I feel like people listen to like what I listened to in middle school and high school. And they're like, that's the oldies now. Uh, but at the time, right. you know, listening to like um, the Beatles and Johnny Cash and Aretha Franklin and Marvin Gaye and yeah. like on and on and on like those, that was just played in our house all the time. And I was so looking back, looking back, I'm so grateful for that. It was like this constant soundtrack to our life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I can't say enough about what a, what a wonderful music experience we did get to grow up in. That's really cool that, that it was so uh, en- enriching yeah. um, to have that a wide array of, of different. Um, I mean, you've got Motown and you've got country and, and oh, rock. Geez. My dad had, I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons my dad like didn't really I don't know. My parents didn't have like a ton of people over to our house growing up. And I'm pretty sure that like one of the reasons was my dad had the most massive record collection. Like finals, like like looking back, I'm like, what? You had so many cool vinyl, you know, know, and in the church world, it's not always like, okay to listen to not parentheses current, you know, Christian or quote unquote Christian music. Like, and so I'm sure that was kind of a, a tension in, in his life. I should ask you more about that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. there was always music on and there was always different, different kinds of music on. So it's, it's funny because, but I, like, I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. And so it's funny. That <laughs> Your pastor was at home blasting Marvin Gaye. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's funny because there was this like line of what was acceptable to mm-hmm. listen to. Um, and I think that was really funny to me now as an adult. Like uh, growing up, we could listen to like 60s and 70s music, but like 80s was questionable and 90s was definitely, unless it was <laughs> like Celine Dion, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, it was not like, okay. Like I, but I, and so at the same time I had all this music playing, I was not allowed to watch MTV. I was not allowed to listen to like hot one Oh seven, nine on the radio. Um, There was this boundary between like, it was like old secular music was okay. But new secular music was of the devil. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny now to look back and realize that. And especially to listen to like the lyrics of some of, the Beach Boys songs, oh, yeah. <laughs> like these are filthy. <laughs> like this is a terrible song, and I would blast. Yeah. I would sing this at the top of my lungs at seven <laughs> years old. Uh, so, like, that's funny that it, in some ways it was like older music was had like stood some test of time that made it not bad to listen to. So, so we, we, I mean, we're talking a lot about <laughs> our. <laughs> Our past faith. Um, I'm curious, like, how does it still shape and affect you today? Oh wow! The, from those early childhood um, 
I mean, but not just childhood. I mean, I remember you were singing as a teen. Yeah. In youth group. Yeah. I will never forget. Um, you know, I was not super interested in being a part of like the youth music at first, but I had this really wonderful mentor, Amy, and she basically threatened me within an inch of my life to like audition to sing for the youth. And I was like, fine, I'll do it. And I was terrible, you know, looking back, it just, just genuinely awful. And they probably only put me on because I was the pastor's daughter. Uh, but it really became like this place where I was given some freedom to grow and to try things and, and mess up and learn from that. You know, I don't think I would be half the singer I am today or the performer I am if I didn't have that experience of being on stage. All right. The next part's yours. You have to sing (laughs) and and it being okay. Like it being okay for it to not be great because there is this environment of like, it's not really about you anyway. It's, you know, it was about this larger collective experience. And so it was okay if I kind of sucked because no one was supposed to really be paying attention to me all the way. So it really did give me like some freedom to just focus on expressing myself and focus on improving my skill that I think is really fed into like the confidence that I have on stage now when I'm in front of people. Yeah. Well, I think in, in a lot of ways, it sounds like it, it gave you some ability to experience some life skills of dealing with adversity and challenges and uh, not just giving up or, uh, but continuing to, to keep improving and get better, uh, at your, your craft. Right. Right. And especially like if someone would say you were really flat on that song, I'd be like, Oh, was I? And it was like this personal internal challenge to like be better (laughs) because, you know, I always want to, I'm super stubborn and competitive. So it was like this challenge of like, well, I'm not going to be flat next time. Like it. And so it was Mm -hmm. a good, if somebody did say something, it, it sparked a good competitive and um, yeah, flame in me to be better. <laughs> How do you reconcile uh, that, that past element of growing up with uh, today? Oh Lord. Um, <laughs> how much time do we have on this podcast? Uh, no, I, <laughs> so there, you know, it's been a hard journey for me to grow up and decide for myself what being spiritual means and to decide yeah. for myself um, and my family, like what's worthy of our time, how we spend our time. We have so little time together, you know, and how are we going to spend it? What really matters? What do I want to teach my kids? What do I want to pass on? So there's been a lot of reflection and just deep inward searching about um, what faith looks like for me now. And I think that uh, you can really heavily see that in in my lyrics now as a songwriter, uh, because there is, you know, when you're completely saturated in this Christian environment growing up and it's all, you know, and then for one reason or another, you have to take a step back and realize that 
there's more in the world than just your experience. I think it can be kind of devastating as, as a like a bubbled Christian at first, but the music part is definitely still there. Like that still runs through my blood. Like I still yeah. want to sing every harmony I can because that was always what we did. You know, it was all about everybody singing their own harmony. And I still come back to some of the really rich language that we use. Um, like I actually wrote a song a couple of months ago it's uh, based. So I, I'm sure I really hope that you had this experience as a kid where, you know, we were taught that the rapture could happen at any moment, like right. at any moment, like Christ will return. The trumpets shall sound and everybody, like everyone who's a true believer is going to suddenly get zapped up into the sky and mm-hmm. everyone else will be left behind. And it was truly terrifying as a child to try to wrap my head around that. And so, you know, you'd come home from the bus one day and can't find anybody in your house for like what felt like an hour. And you're like, Oh God, I've been left behind. Like my soul is full of darkness and I was not acceptable to the Lord. Like, (laughs) and having this like panic of how am I going to survive? How am I going to eat? Should I board up the windows? Like all of this, like going through your mind. And then like your mom comes in from the back and you're like, oh, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) I really hope that you had at least one experience like that as a kid, because I feel like it's really, please tell me you did. Did you ever think you were left behind? Um, So I, (laughs) I was talking about, and I feel like that's a common thing to talk about with people who are raised in Christianity. And I was talking with the band about it and we were laughing about different experiences and so I was thinking about it later and I decided to turn it into like this breakup song where it's like the other person's left you behind. So like reusing a lot of that language that we're all familiar with someone taking off to the sky without saying goodbye. And somebody like one person seeing the signs of the times, like seeing the signs of the end and the other person not seeing them at all. And so I, I have this lexicon, you know, from all of this um, language that we used growing up that I feel like really still inspires me and, and feels like this creative creativity in me because the Bible has great stories in it and it has beautiful language in it that has stuck. Right. Cause mm-hmm. that's what we remember in the end are stories. And so even though I feel like I have stepped away from a lot of it, there's still so much that still like, I'll never be able to shake, right? Like it's so deep in my blood, literally and figuratively. Like the language still really inspires me and the stories still stick with me. And I still, when I'm having like a crummy day, it's still like a hymn that I'll come back to. You know, there's nothing that calms me down. (laughs) Like gives me peace sometimes like singing an old hymn to myself. So I still find comfort in it. I still find inspiration in it even if I have grown apart and don't always agree with how like that faith we were raised in uh, there's still, and I think always will be a strong connection to it. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm reminded of um, your grandpa just singing hymns. Mm -hmm. My favorite memory of him singing hymns is that like he'd get up there and he would be the end of a sermon and he was an incredible speaker like yeah you know the room you could not hear a pin drop when he was up there he just had such an incredible delivery and a way in front of people 
and a way of words. And like one minute he would just be like full on volume. And then another, he'd just be whispering, you know, he was incredible. Uh, but I remember he'd get to the end of a sermon and be real emotional, you know, it'd be so emotional. And he would close his eyes and like grip the side of the pulpit and look, you know, lift his head up to the sky. And he would start singing a hymn and everyone would start singing along with him. And it was so, so beautiful. And then he would just start like making up his own verses. Yeah. And people would still be trying to kind of sing along, <laughs> but he would just be like so moved yeah. in his spirit. And so like, caught up in it he just had these words so you know really my grandpa was one of the first songwriters I I really admired because I don't know if it was because he forgot the words if he just like (laughs) was so poetic and he was like that he just you know they just spewed out of him at times but he had get up there and with you know no qualms no anything just making up lyrics to hundreds of you know, a year, a, uh, a hymn that's 200 years old. Right, yeah. So yeah, he was incredible with that. As a, like a teen, uh, country music starting to appeal to you. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and, and, and even not just, uh, country, but obviously Dixie chicks, but, uh, even <laughs> a, a band that's alternative, but also has, a the jam band feel to it. Uh, Dave Matthews band was uh, somebody that you were listening to. How did, how did that all come about? Sure. So, you know, honestly, I, I think the Dixie chick started with, you know, um, turning 13 and thinking I was awesome (laughs) and a teenager now. And there's just something about those years. It seems like, um, I think especially teenage girls, just revolt against their mothers and really all human life form they revolt against, but I think particularly their mothers. And I was guilty of that, you know, mom, like you don't understand my life, you know? Uh, And, you know, just this (laughs) tense teenage daughter and mother relationship. So as a peace offering, she signed me up for this like monthly CD subscription of which was huge because like I said we were not allowed to listen to like um, modern day secular music yeah and I remember like the first one was Britney Spears hit me baby one more time <laughs> like the CD and I was like what is this and um, so like all that stuff so I think like the second or third month was the Dixie Chicks and I put it on and I was completely just captivated by the lead singer's voice Natalie and thought like she can move mountains with her voice. It wasn't so much the songs. Like it's so funny. I go back and listen to the songs now and there was like nothing relatable (laughs) to the actual lyrics of the songs, but I fell in love with how she sang and how she used her voice. And so that became one that stuck with me. Like that CD stayed. And it was even to the point where I remember as I got a little older and I think, you know, Carlos, we were in the same youth group there was some like breaking of the secular cds you know it's like yeah we're gonna burn all of our non-christian music and like on the outside i was like yeah but like secretly hiding dixie chick cds like (laughs) underneath the seat of my driver's seat because i was like i'm not burning those (laughs) and so i just remember that was i was like i don't care if the music i just want to hear her voice Mm -hmm. and that was really how i started to like teach myself how to sing was I would try to imitate her 
And um, which was funny because then as I got older and like sang in church, I remember the sound guys would be like, why do you have so much twang in your voice? Like this is so, you sound ridiculous. And so I had to dial it back a little bit. But um, yeah, that was big for me. And so then with Dave Matthews, I, again, I mentioned Amy earlier and she was just like the coolest of the cool. She had been my babysitter growing up and then just kind of morphed into this older sister role. And I don't know how to like accurately describe Amy without sounding like I'm making it up. She just was the person like everyone loved. Um, She was- you're not making that up. Yeah. She just was this shining light of joy and kindness. And like, you knew when she walked in the room and she was, I just adored her, especially as a teenager. And she would pick me up sometimes, especially as like my parents were going through divorce and it was really messy. And she would just come pick me up and she had a Jeep Wrangler, which I mean, like, come on like so cool and like would have all the didn't you have one too i know because amy did of course yeah Yeah. i had to have one because that's what amy had (laughs) and so she would have the top down and we would just drive like we wouldn't have to talk like we would just drive and she would blast dave matthews cds and um i felt like this whole world opened up to me with her and like she'd be like, I just found this band. And so whenever I hear Dave Matthews, I think of like driving in the middle of the summer with Amy and think yeah. feeling like I was as cool as this like senior in high school or like whatever. She was maybe in college, I guess at that point. And um, just blasting, singing, you know, under the table and dreaming, you know, thinking life could not possibly get any better. So it's like super nostalgic for me, you know, of, of my relationship with her and, especially as she, um, she uh, passed away of cancer a little over a year ago. So now I, it's extra, uh, precious to me now when I hear some of the songs that she would blast in her car when I was a teenager, cause she really created this safe space for me yeah. to just not be okay and, or to not talk at all or, to scream at the top of my lungs. Like she, she was that for me up until the very end of her life. She was that for me. And uh, so there's always been a strong musical connection uh, with her. And I will always be like really, really grateful that some of the last few days of her life, I was able to go in and sing songs for her. And yeah, that was, that was a really strong bond of our relationship was, was music. So yeah, Dave Matthews band, she, she introduced (laughs) me. What what were some of the songs? Oh, jeez, I can remember. That's another one where it's like I can't believe that, like you saying that. Yeah, as like a twelve year old, you know, right. like yeah. pack up your skirt a little more. Like, I'm like <laughs> oh my god, like that's or, terrible. Or uh, talking about crash, even. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, or like the many many drug references and um it's just really funny to go back and listen to that and be like i had no idea what i was saying it's a fairly (laughs) sheltered 14 year old singing along to these songs you know but but it was like how it felt and it was like this emotional connection to amy and i didn't like again kind of like the dixie chicks it wasn't so much the lyrics it was it was how i felt and the memories i had with the music that created that bond so i was like 
don't really care what it's saying. Like, I, I find it incredible. I, I think it says so much about who Amy was, how, like, like you said, creating that, that space for you in the midst of everything that you were going through. Mm-hmm. It, it's just remarkable to me. Yeah. I mean, she was uh, really the benchmark of friendship for me. And in that way, um, she did. She would always set aside anything at any moment if you needed her to. Yeah. Uh, like truly, we might say that about some people, but she truly um, would. And like she left law school to come pick me up at the airport when my grandpa died. You know, like she did oh, wow. stuff like that all the time and um, was always thinking about other people and always just really in tune with the people she loved. Like she um, will sometimes call me when I was having a terrible day and I hadn't like told her, you know, but she just, she was really in tune to other people and, and um, giving them a safe space. So she was incredible like that. Yeah. Yeah. Post high school, you had a lot of alternative influences that were going on. And what was that? <laughs> so I, James Taylor, I discovered my senior year of high school. And I think that's when I really started to make the shift to listening more to words. I will never forget, like I was given a copy of like James Taylor's greatest hits. And it was in the time where, you know, there was no such thing as, uh, I guess we might, I don't know. I guess we had MP3s maybe my senior year, but like nobody was, it was all on CDs, you know, and we were just burning CDs all the time. And, um, so I or would Napster. listen to <laughs> Napster. Yes. But I had this like three disc or something collection of the greatest hits of James Taylor. And I played those things to death, uh, because I was, I just was so captivated by him as a songwriter. Like, um, the stories he would tell and the connections he would make and like fire and rain is still gotta be like one of my top 10 favorite songs. Like it's just so beautifully written and yeah, yeah I just really found that. And it was really started to pay attention to how songwriters used words and how they use stories to convey things instead of always like explicitly saying exactly what they meant or how they would you know, progress throughout a song and, and, and make you feel things. That was really a big thing for me. And uh, it was shortly after, like in my early 20s, that I started going to like actual songwriter concerts. And that was heavily in part to that was like when Jason and I started dating. And, uh, you know, we were cool, like in our young 20s, you know, and <laughs> go to concerts. And so we used to drive all over. Like, honestly, we went to Chicago. We would go up, we would go up to like Kalamazoo or Grand Rapids, I think. Uh, we drove like on a school night because he was teaching at the time. On like a school night, we drove from Fort Wayne to Louisville, which is like four hours to hear yeah. Alexi Murdoch play. <laughs> and um, I don't know if you've ever listened to Alexi Murdoch. Yeah. He has like one or two albums and then he like dropped off the face of the planet. I don't know what happened to him, but every song on those records is just beautiful. Like really, really beautiful. And his guitar playing is just so delicate and intricate and gorgeous. And that just kept stoking this fire of the power of songwriting in me. It was on that, like we were in this crowded bar hearing Alexi Murdoch and like, 
could bring the room to silence, like just him and his guitar. And I was like, again, that's a superpower, you know, Mm -hmm. like I want to have that superpower. So yeah, a lot of that really started to make me wonder if I could ever write my own songs. And I still didn't really have the confidence to do that, but I was really paying attention to some of these songwriters I was able to see and just really play over and over and over again in my car. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I think this is a interesting time because then you start hearing from more female singer songwriters, Brandy Carlisle, for example. Um, Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I feel like there's this, it's, it's, it's so fascinating already. Uh, just, Mm-hmm. It feels like it makes so much sense of why you're doing what you're doing <laughs> um, with uh, your band. What was the connection or the appeal of hearing from these female uh, singer-songwriters? So I, again, this is all telling how old I am, all of these things. Uh, <laughs> I remember when you would go to Borders, when those oh existed. Yeah. And that was a big part of when Jason and I were dating, we would go to borders for hours. Like um, we would just spend, and he was an English major. So he had just graduated from college with this English major. And we were just so like romantic (laughs) and we would just spend hours at at borders and at borders. They used to have CDs and in the CD section, they would have like these top picks and you could go over and put these headphones on that they had in the aisles and you could like sample these albums. Like it would play like 30 seconds of a song. And that was how you decided if you wanted to buy a CD or not, which all of that sounds incredibly archaic. (laughs) And and especially in COVID times, you're like, they had shared headphones out. (laughs) It's funny to think about. I remember one night we were there, probably about to get kicked out because we were there so late picked up the headphones and I, you know, sampled Brandy Carlisle's, uh, I think it was her first album, Okay, maybe her second album. And I had never heard anyone sing like that. Yeah. Just every song I listened to, I was like, I want to hear the rest of that song. I want to hear the rest of that song, which is just incredible to think that at one point you couldn't hear a whole song without buying a CD. <laughs> and I play that CD again. Like I played it to death, like the story she told in every song and the power of her voice. It was again, like that's a superpower and I want to have that superpower. And so I followed her a lot over the last gosh, 12, 13 years. And I've really respected her as an advocate for issues she cares about. Like she really marries like, Um, her advocacy, her storytelling, her experiences as a mother, and all of those things are all on display in her music. And I I loved that her music was her way to tell her own stories the way she wanted to tell them. And I had like, so I listened to her a lot when we first got married. And then I had worked in church music for like the next, next like eight years. I spent working doing music for church. And so I just was totally immersed in um, listening to Christian music because it was my job to find out what songs we were going to use in the services. And like, it just became most of what 
you know, I really listened to. And when I stepped away and stepped out of that role and it was like really right when she started, she had just released one of her later albums and I kind of rediscovered her and it, it really inspired me to want to do that for myself. Like I want to start to tell my own stories. I want to put myself into my music like she does. I, I think it's really powerful. And, um, and also with Joy Williams, she's another female artist that I really, really admire, yeah. especially it's interesting because she, she was like a, a CCM um, right. Christian singer and stepped away from it all. And then kind of came back as who she decided she wanted to come back as. And I have really respected that about her and, uh, her last album, it's called Front Porch. Uh, every song on it, like, moves me to tears. <laughs> and so I'm, that's kind of, like, my standard a little bit is, is like, man, I want people to cry when they listen to my music. Uh, I want to write songs that people really connect with. Like, I, I want to move people or remind them of, like, a moment in their life. I, w- I want them to listen to a song. I wrote about my son, but maybe it reminds them of their aunt or it reminds them of their best friend in it. So listening to those female artists put themselves out there for the whole world to see in like such a beautiful way that they decide. I, you know, it's, it's really been something I've strived to emulate myself. Is this where Rosalind and the way kind of came about (laughs) where you were able to have the, that, that confidence was finally there to to write your own lyrics or like what was that process of starting the band it was certainly uh, a huge inspiration for it so it was just this whole uh, mass of events where uh it was a combination of i had never felt really confident enough in myself as a musician or a songwriter to feel like I could do it. I always just was kind of full of self-doubt, like had no trouble getting up in front of like a large church and leading songs would do it in a heartbeat without thinking of anything. But when it thinking about writing my own things and uh, getting up there as just myself and like not a representative of an organization, like not with just getting up there and it's just me telling my stories and my songs, uh, I, it was terrifying you know, to me. And I, I, I'd kind of been writing some stuff and didn't feel super confident. And that was kind of leading into this time. I really had a, my crisis of faith and, and had walked away from the church and, you know, Jason and I were at, um, you know, this time when we were like fighting for our marriage and we're fighting for a family. And, uh, in the middle of it, I started recording these songs that I had written and, I was. I remember sitting on our back deck with him one day and saying, "Like, I really feel like it's time for me to do this. I feel like now's the time. Like, I really need to find my own voice. Like, find out what I want to say on my own. And I just don't know what to call it." And he was like, "Well, I've been writing these short stories, and you should go read them." And so I like go through and I I read these short stories that he's been writing and he has this character named Rosalind who, you know, I had enough context clues to pick up like that Rosalind was me and these stories. And I was just so moved uh, by the person he saw me as like at this time in my life, I never felt worse about myself or like um, incompetent and 
terrible about myself and to read what he really thought about me and like the person he saw me as really number one just filled me with so much love and gratitude and admiration for him and also kind of gave me my 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 footing again and also i was like i'm gonna steal that name now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because it's really come like the name rosalind has come to symbolize for me like the person i want to be like the best version of myself is who i want to be and i always want to be striving to be the best of myself and i think that through this music and through these songs I write in this band, like this is a true and vulnerable and like honest reflection of myself. That's always what I come back to. Like when it comes to like, if we're going to put a song on an album or not, if we're, if I'm even going to like present a song to the band to work on, like I look at it and like, is this the kind of story I want to put out into the world? Are these the kind of song lyrics that I want to represent me? It was at that time. and, And so I, and I actually stole the way from one of my all-time favorite books. I think it's also a cult name, but we're just going to pretend like it's not. Uh, <laughs> so I love this book. I reread it probably every year uh, by J.D. Salinger. It's called oh, yeah. Franny, and, Franny and Zoe. In this story, she's having this sort of existential crisis. Like she's at college and she wants to be an actress, but she feels like, everyone who tries to be an artist is so phony and they're all just trying to be like somebody else or they're just doing it for their own ego. And she like, can't get her mind around that. Like she can't get past that. Like she, she feels like she's called to be an actress. She's called to be this artist. Like it's in her, it's what she's good at, but she feels really caught up in like the phoniness of it all and the ego of it all. And I won't like ruin the book, but anyway, it gets down to, one of the lines is from her brother telling her like an artist has to strive to be an artist on their own terms and nobody else's. Like if you're really going to be an artist, you have to decide for yourself, like what's good, what's true, what's pure, like what's you. And I try to keep that again in in mind as I'm creating as a musician. Like I, I don't want to just copy somebody else as much as I love and adore Brandy Carlisle and Joy Williams and, all these other musicians, like at, at the end of the day, I, I don't just want to be a carbon copy of them with slightly different lyrics. And, you know, I need to decide for myself, like what an artist is and what I want to put out into the world. Like I want to do it on my own terms. And I think especially as a woman, I, you know, was really raised in, in a very much like men are the leaders, um, men make decisions. And it's really funny when we go out as a band you know, it's me. And like I said, I've got four guys in the band and they're just truly lovely and wonderful people. And we get a kick because almost every time we show up for a gig, like someone will ask the guys what we need. Like, yeah, they won't. And I'm like, there's literally a time we were performing somewhere and there was a banner of my face behind me, like <sighs> literally above my head is the band name with my face on it. And he introduces himself to the oldest guy in our band, like the guy running the show. Yeah. And um, it, we still laugh about it as a band because it was such like a, well, are you kidding? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, people just assume that the guy is in charge. And so I think especially like as a female and especially now that I have a daughter, like I want her to see that I have the ability to make calls i have the ability to like make my you know put my feet to the ground and make my dreams come true and 
right. that my work is valid, that my voice is valid just as I am, like just as me without anyone else validating that. Mm-hmm. I used to, I, and so like I would just go to these like tiny little open mic nights around town and play my three songs at my slot. You know, I did that for months and that was terrifying. Like I was more terrified at those shows than I am for, you know, anything we've played since. (laughs) It's just absolutely scary. Like that these are the words I've written and to a melody I've written and uh, I'm going to sing them to a room full of slightly intoxicated people who don't (laughs) care who I am. Uh, It was incredibly raw and, uh, terrifying but so good like that was how I learned what worked and what didn't like I knew like I could watch people in that bar and if they would stop eating while I sang a verse you know or they would turn around on their bar stool while I sang a song I would be like okay that's a good song if it was enough to give someone pause that they would stop what they went there to do and listen to it that was really how I started to measure like what songs were good songs that I was writing and what songs weren't yeah, and then on and on and on from there. It's been five years this spring since I started it. So it's wow. it's come a long way. It's interesting. Your band has a very Americana feel to it. There's elements of folk, but also some rock. And like there's even like some country elements to it, I would say. I'll so never it, shake again, the Dixie Chicks. I'll never shake them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it just, again, it's just like this... Uh, encompassing of everything that has shaped you throughout your life. And I just was curious what it's like to be in a band and what it, what it's like to create music uh, for people to enjoy. Oh my. Yeah. I, you know, in a band, you definitely have, like I said, there's five of us. So not only are you hearing like my all of my um, influences, right? Like, just like you said, like I had all of those genres of music I had growing up, like influencing me. But, you know, I've got a guitar player who uh, is a major bluegrass guy, like yeah, loves wearing cowboy hats and loves classic country, loves bluegrass, but also like loves classic rock. And he can shred on an electric guitar as well as he can like shred on a banjo, you know? So um, you hear a lot of that. And then I've got, uh, you know, a keyboard player who was raised kind of similarly to you and I, but like super Christian. And he's played a lot of this, like, you know, alternative kind of like Christian music stuff. So I think you hear some of that that comes out. Yeah. Then I've got like, like my drummer was super, you know, he's really into Ben Folds can play like every instrument. So, I mean, you're not just hearing my influences, but you're hearing everyone's. And even though like the band is really my baby and and a big representation of me, like I've tried to include them in on all of that, because I think that for one, I just really appreciate there's also, you know, have been so invested and they've driven in the middle of the night to terrible gigs on the other side of Ohio and, (laughs) Um, you know, they really put their guts into it and, you know, with songwriting with, with that many influences and that many voices, you know, or just, even if I come with a song 90% done, there's still like this tension of working it out in the room. And at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of going back to, okay, but like, what's our identity? 
How do I want to sound? You know, you're constantly going back to that because you have all these influences. You have all these different opinions. If you put everything in, you know, it's just going to be terrible. It's just going to be noise. So it's hard Mm. to filter out what genuinely reflects like what we've created and what we're trying to do, even if it's a great idea, but it doesn't fit into like that definition, you know, we're not going to use it. It's definitely been more fun to have the guys with me than it was to do by myself, but it's definitely easier to make decisions when it's just you, (laughs) you know, in a lot of ways. So it's been a really good experience for me to work on like clarifying my values and um, just really a practice in leadership for me and like being explicitly clear with like my, my visions and my goals and my expectations. Yeah. Yeah. It is key. And uh, which is good because I'm getting my master's in professional communication. So I better (laughs) kind of know how to do that. (laughs) So no, it's, um, it's really fun. You know, when we get up there and our, and get in our little bubble up on stage and we get into like, we have a couple of songs we really jam out on. It is, you know, it's cloud nine. Like it's just incredible to, um, and I'll also say like, as amazing as it was to like stand in the open mic stage and watch like somebody stop eating their French fries because they were listening to my lyrics, like incredible feeling. It's even more incredible to stand in a, the basement of my, you know, keyboard player's house and to hear all of these other instruments playing what I heard coming, like what I heard in my head and like hearing yeah. it come out and to hear other people singing the lyrics that I wrote. There's nothing like it. Like it, it's, I just get giddy, you know, when, when yeah, like yeah. seeing all of these people invested in um, like a little idea I had is really humbling and, and really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, a couple times some of your kids and you, you have three kids and what, what is it like as a, as a mom, what do you do with music in their lives? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they are having to listen to mom's selections in the car a lot, but it's fun to introduce them to music and see them love it. Like you can tell when a song comes on and it like speaks to them. They eat like, yeah. um, like my middle child has like his own playlist on my Spotify account because <laughs> he's like, mom, save that. That's one of my songs. And he's like curating his own like soundtrack to his life. And I love it. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard too because I, I want him to like make that journey on his own. I don't want to tell him what's good. Yeah, music. Yeah. And yeah. so like, as there's some choices on there that just like truly make me cringe, but they make him so happy. And I'm like, that's my job. As a parent, it's right. like, I just want like the light bulbs to come on for him. And if it means he's kind of listened to Imagine Dragons, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just what it's going to take. Like, I just want him to find joy in music. Like, I'm not going to tell him like, oh, they're just copying every other pop formula <laughs> that's ever been, you know, I'm not going to ruin it for him. Like, I just want them to find joy in music. So yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So we listen to a lot of a lot of different kinds of music in our house, and we've got an upright piano that they're always open to play. You know, so they sit and tinker on it. And uh, my youngest, she's two, and so she gets up there and like, I love it. She 
plays nonsense, but then she like closes her eyes and sways and like sings <laughs> nonsense along with it. And it's the most precious thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I bet. So, and I mean, they also serve as, as um, major inspiration to a lot of my songs. Like I, um, yeah, one of our most popular songs is, is a song called Dandy Walker, which is uh, the diagnosis that my oldest child has. He has mm-hmm. pretty severe... Uh, physical and cognitive disabilities and like he's 10 uh but he's actually three uh like skill wise and ability wise Uh and you know when he was really little and he was just months old they they would tell us he was never gonna walk he was never gonna do a lot of these things and he has since proved them wrong uh right true spirit of his mother like oh really well i'll show you I'll prove you wrong. But I wrote that song when he was first learning to walk. And it's still like I still have a hard time getting through it live. um, Because even though he has, yeah, he's learned to walk. Like he still has a lot of challenges. So uh, they really are major inspiration for me. And there's nothing I love more than like a gig they can come to and they get to see and they're always like up front dancing the whole time and just <laughs> love it. And so, yeah, it's definitely hard as a mom to try to be a musician. And, you know, I can't be gone for weeks at a time to tour and I can't, you know, do some of that. But I, on the other hand, feel like I'm happy that they're getting to see me as a mom still pursuing things that I care about, like, and still having this other identity that isn't just mom um i hope that in some way that inspires them to always have a part of their life that they're like really can pour their passions into and um that they still always no matter what yeah like make room for themselves no matter what season of life that they're in so what is it about music that is uh so special and important to us as humans wow there are so many ways you could answer that but I, the first thing I think of is storytelling. I think that music gives us a way to tell stories and to pass on stories and to say things in a way that we can't always just vocalize in a conversation or just with words. I, you know, when we sit around our table after a meal, we tell stories about our family history, you know, and I think that music does that in a collective sense. I think songs become a reflection of our identity and songs weave together the story of our lives. Like even as you asked me to, you know, make a list of 10 songs of my life and I found them put, find myself putting them together and, and being reminded of very specific eras of my life. Like just a song can take me back to, you know, like I will by the Beatles was the song I, first song I sang, I would sing to Abram as a baby. And I still sing that song to my kids when I tuck them in at night. And I'm like, I think I listed a Lord Huron song. And that was what we listened to as we drove out West uh, for like our first big road trip. And so I hear that song and I'm instantly like in our crummy Toyota Avalon (laughs) with no air conditioning, like with our hands out the window, driving through the Badlands, like songs connect us to the the stories in those songs, but also what we were doing when we heard those songs and when we learned those songs. And so I think they connect us to each other through stories. I think they connect us to time and place. And I think that music connects us to our own identity. It says things we can't 
always put to words about ourselves. So I think it's pretty important. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that was that was great. <laughs> Communication. <laughs> well, Cassie, thanks for doing this. Uh, this was really enjoyable. I'm glad that uh, we got to do this. Oh, my pleasure, Kyle. This was really fun, and I just love what you're doing. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichting. Each person interviewed has created a playlist to the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlists, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm, click on Soundtrack Playlist, and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at at Soundtrack Podcast or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack. Soundtrack.